Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for everyone in this building tonight, and we thank Thee for the message in picture and drawing that Brother Johnny has presented for all the songs. We're so glad that Jesus loved us like He did, and we pray that tonight we might not proffer that love or spurn it or turn it away, but we'll open our hearts and invite Thee to come in and be Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, do Your work tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 28. I found a note here on the pulpit Brother Dallas gave me, and it has a number of Scripture references. I don't know who wrote it down. A number of scripture references concerning witchcraft in the Bible. Tonight is Halloween, and all across the city and the area, there are people celebrating Halloween, and I'm glad you've come to God's house to celebrate Halloween. There's a lot the Bible has to say concerning witches and Ouija boards and weirdos and the wages of sin, and that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. Will you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 28, beginning with verse 7, please. Then said Samuel unto his servants, Seek me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me as a medium, and bring me up him whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest that Saul, what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that are mediums and the wizards out of the land. Why then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Said, then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid. For what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am very much distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Why then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to thee as he spoke by me, for the Lord hath torn the kingdom out of thine hand, 
and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow thou shalt thou and thy sons shalt be with me. The Lord shall also deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Tonight, I want to speak on the subject we've already announced, witches and Ouija boards and weirdos and the wages of sin. And the burden of this message in one sentence, it's not how you begin, but how you end the race that really counts. It's not how you begin, but how you end the race that really counts. Paul said, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only. Saul was a man of great promise. He was the son of Kish. The Bible said he stood head and shoulders above all the men of his day. And when God was ready to have a king, though the people of Israel asked for it, and it was not in God's original plan, for God wanted his people to be ruled as a theocracy, not a monarchy. But God accepted the will of the people. God said, Samuel, you go out and anoint the man that I'll show you. And when Samuel anointed Saul to be king of Israel, Saul was a meek man. He was a humble man. And the Bible says in the beginning, he behaved himself discreetly. But he began to go the road of many people. He chipped and cheated God in little things. And when he cheated God in little things and seemed to get by with it, he began to cheat in bigger things and then larger things. And finally, he lost reverential awe and respect for God and took matters in his own hand. And there came a day when Samuel said to Saul, I will see thy face again no more. And Samuel left. And Saul went through the rest of his kingship without the power of God upon his life. Now the question of whether Saul was saved or not saved is not within the sphere of our discussion tonight. I'm of the opinion that Saul never knew the Lord. Others who are just as wise and much, much smarter than I am and know the Bible better than I say they believe Saul was saved. I do not know. But I want to say this. If he was saved, he ended the race in defeat and shame and tragedy. And there are some Christians that end the race that way. If he was never saved, he purposely went away from God to the degree and the point that God could no longer deal with him. Tonight is Halloween, the evening of October 31st, preceding the church festival of All Hallows or All Saints Day. From its supernatural associations, it has always been connected with foretelling the future. In English-speaking countries around the world, young people and children devote the evening to masquerading and to merrymaking and to going trick-and-treating. And, to, and this evening, we went track 
and trees. And I think that's a good innovation for Halloween. Today there's a widespread interest in Satanism, witchcraft, Ouija boards, astrology, palm reading, and so on. Spiritism is the belief that people survive death as spirits and that they can communicate with the living through a medium or a person who has a special psychic gift. Anton Sandor LaVey is pastor of the First Satanic Church in San Francisco. And he says that devil worship is being practiced actively throughout the Western world. The late Bishop James Pike, grieving over the suicide of his son Jim, observed strange occurrences in his Cambridge apartment. And this led him to think that his son was trying to communicate with him. And so he went to a medium and attempted a number of seances and claimed that Jim spoke to him. Later, James Pike, Bishop Pike, died a mysterious death in the Holy Land. And he was down in one of those barren valleys of the land of the Bible for days and days before anybody found him. Mrs. Jean Dixon, most of you know about her. Whenever she says anything, it gets in the paper today. She uses torrent cards and crystal balls and astrological readings. And she's the one that talked about Roosevelt having six months to live. She's the one that tried to get hold of Kennedy to warn him not to go to Dallas, but he would die in Dallas. She's the one who has made many predictions so that there are some Christians being caught up assuming that she must be a prophet because she talks about God and she talks about Christ. I want to say to you tonight, everybody that talks about God and everybody that talks about Christ is not of God and they're not playing on Christ's team. And we need to be cautious about it. Sybil Leek calls herself a witch. She claims there are 8 million witches in the world today. In Europe, there are more people making a livelihood through the practice of the occult than there are the total number of men and women of God who are in the Christian ministry in Europe and in England. Listen, one of the best-selling novels in 1971 and 72 is the movie The Exorcist. It is also not only the novel but a movie now. And it tells the terrifying story of a child who became demon-possessed through experimentation with a Ouija board. The Ouija board dates back to the time of 540 B.C. and to a time of the Egyptian antiquity. The Ouija board usually is 18 inches long and 12 inches wide. It has the numbers 0 to 9 and the letters of the alphabet on it and the words yes and no, and down at the bottom, goodbye. And there's a heart-shaped indicator that slides over the board and spells out the answer. And one guy sits at one side and another at the other side, and, and they take this heart-shaped indicator and they move it across, and, and the mediums say that somehow the dead speak and the spirits give back answers through the Ouija board. If I were you, I would be exceedingly cautious in even fun playing with things of the devil. 
I settled card games for me a long time ago. There are people who play cards. They say, well, there's nothing wrong with playing a little innocent game of bridge, a little innocent game of this card and that card. I was trying to win somebody to Christ. I think I told you about it the other night in college. And I was playing an innocent game of cards. And that young man that I was trying to witness to passed by and saw me. He said, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want anything of it. That settled it. I was 18 years old, 19 years old, and I threw the cards away and I've never touched another deck of cards. And I want to say to you, if you deal in things even in fun that the devil is using today as tools of Satanism and tools of hell, I'd be very cautious. I want to, I want to bring some clippings to our attention tonight. I hope I get through tonight. This is Halloween. You don't mind staying till the bewitching hour of midnight, I assume. If you have to leave, just get up and go. But I'll try not to stay too long. Here's a little clipping. It says, the Senate told of baby selling. Right here in America, a panel of newsmen have outlined to a sub Senate subcommittee the operations of baby sellers that include lawyers offering up to $10,000 for infants to unwed mothers who receive pregnancy counseling. The exorcist advisor finds reaction odd. He says many people who have seen the film and even some who haven't feel they are possessed by the devil and are coming to the priests for help. He says that's hard for me to understand. Demon possession on the rise. An article in one of the newspapers. And listen to this. The rise and spread of Satanism. A naked woman lies in the center of a large group of people serving as a table for their desecration of the Lord's Supper and the object of their sexual atrocities. It is the celebration of the Black Mass. A group of village witch doctors dance frantically around a roaring fire, slashing themselves with knives until the blood cascades down their arms and wishing death upon a common enemy. Within 24 hours, the victim is dead. A woman sits in a darkened room, clutching her customer's hand and forecasting his future from his palm. In the imagination, or literally, the prediction comes true. All of these situations, diverse and bizarre as they are, are examples of the power of Satan rising throughout the world and his worshipers growing in number at an alarming rate of speed. Dr. Kurt Koch, one of the world's leading authors on Satanism, has this to say. He estimates that between 1 and 2% of the world's population are devil worshipers, including some 2 million in the United States of America. Satanism in the occult is a process of de-Christianizing believers, and it is attracting the people who are going away from the churches who don't find Christ a vital force in their lives. It is a mystical movement which holds some attraction of its own, and it offers help and advice about life and the future, and contact with the dead. Some of the main areas of the occult are superstition, which includes fortune-telling, use of divine rod, and so on. Number two, magic, which includes causing sickness and healing. Number three, spiritism, which includes seances and speaking in tongues. Spiritistic circles, of which some 6,000 exist in California and 7,000 in Brazil, they include direct devil worship, including the bizarre black, black mass practice agreements written in blood and child sacrifice. 
two of the largest occult churches in the United States, listen to this, are the Foursquare Gospel Church in Los Angeles and the Satanic Church in San Francisco, headed by LaVey, the black, the black pope who claims that he has more than 200,000 followers. Some of the elements of the occult, such as speaking in tongues and healing, bear a striking resemblance to the Pentecostal movement currently sleep, sweeping the religious world. I'll not go on with that article. You ought to get it and read it. It's an eye-opener. Listen to this. Witchcraft. Its revival has spread to cities and suburbs over the nation, among them Louisville. Is the religion a fad or a potential source of evil? In a quiet suburban neighborhood, a, farm, a former Boy Scout who is now a respectable businessman raises his sword and calls for Satan to come forth from hell. In an old house near the downtown business area, a group of men, men and women, their nude bodies forming a circle, chant incantations first spoken among many centuries, many centuries before Christ. What they're practicing is witchcraft. The city is Louisville, but the same scenes are repeated in Detroit, Kansas City, Dayton, San Francisco. Evangelist Billy Graham has said, the current popularity of witchcraft is proof that God is live. He sees the devil worshippers as Lucifer's lieutenants in a last futile battle to defeat the Prince of Heaven. But the demonic ranks continue to grow. The Church of Satan, the San Francisco-based religion, whose people practice black witchcraft, claims 10,000 Americans carry its red membership cards. Louisville is a center for the occult in the Midwest. Listen to this. The University of Kentucky Associate Professor Donald Nugent, who has published many articles dealing with the history and current renaissance of witchcraft, said he began to see the signs and revival of witchcraft five years ago and has been speaking at seminars on the subject for the last three years. The bluegrass is a fertile area for witchcraft. Cincinnati too, and so on. I'll not take too much of your time, but let me read this. The Church of Satan takes the seven deadly sins, greed, pride, envy, anger, gluttony, lust, sloth, and allows their indulgence. LaVey writes, Blessed are the powerful, for they shall be avenged among men. Cursed are the people, for they shall be blotted out. Blessed are the bold, for they shall be masters of the world. Cursed are the righteously humble, for they shall be trodden under cloven hoofs. To the believers, Satanism is self-deification. Human beings have something unpredictable in them, and we call that element Satan. Satan is man raised to his infinite potential. Man as a God. And if you read Revelation 14, if you read Revelation chapter 7, if you read some of the other chapters of Revelation, you'll find that that's what happens when Antichrist takes over. He is man as God. Then there is the Satanist definition of hell. You're in it. Hell is life right now, they say. We say that Satan is the Lord of the world. Heaven's supposed to be a place where you have no problems. Hell is where you have hideous problems, but you enjoy working them out. And this last thought. Among the black Satanists, there are three types of ceremony. A sex ritual, commonly known as a love charm or spell. A compassion or sentiment ritual performed for the purpose of helping others or oneself. And a destruction ritual commonly known as hex or a curse. On and on we could go. Here is the call they give at the Satan worship. Shamhamforesh. 
Hail Satan, shouts the magister of the church of the satanic brotherhood. Our hope is in the devil. Hail the Lord of two horns. He cries as the grotto members give the sign of the devil. And here's the sign of the devil. By holding up the left hand with a forefinger and little finger up and others down to represent the horned head of Lucifer. And young people, if I were you, I would never use that sign again. You may not like what I'm saying. You may think, well, that's fanatical. But I asked God to give me direction tonight, and I feel like this is what he led me to say. On this night when people are confused and wondering about how near the world and how near hell and how near the devil you can live and still go to heaven, I want to say to you, we need to flee the devil and get away from him. Saul, hundreds of years ago, had that same temptation. He wanted to know how close to hell can I live? How close to the world can I live? How much like the devil can I act? and still get on God's team. And Samuel one day said, Saul, I will see thy face again no more. I want to suggest to you tonight the possible ex explanations from the Scripture. Number one, some believe that this, all of this is a total fake, and much of it is a fake. Number two, others believe that it's the subconscious transference of thought or mental telepathy. When two people get around a Ouija board or they go to a palm reader or something like that and somebody has deep psychic ability and there is such a thing as ESP, that there is an ability to transfer the thoughts from one mind to another and to read the soul of another. This is a possibility. There's a third explanation and I think it's the biblical explanation and that is the power of Satan. third explanation and I think it's the biblical explanation and that is the power of Satan Satan has more power than you and I would ever dream of or imagine for a moment listen to what the Bible says about the devil in Ephesians chapter 6 put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand again. Listen to what God says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Satan has seven particular offices or works that he accomplishes. Number one, according to Luke 4, 6, he is the God of this world and claims that authority. Number two, he, con he contends with the saints, according to Ephesians 6, 12. He is constantly contentious with Christians, saints, 
He is always needling your mind and needling your heart and trying to get you involved in sin. Number three, he tempts men to disobedience. It was Satan who tempted Eve in the garden of God. Number four, he slanders and accuses the saints. Job was a man who eschewed evil. He loved God. The Bible calls him a perfect man. That means mature. He was moving on toward godliness. He was not morally perfect without sin, but he was mature. And there came a day when Satan presented himself before God. And somehow the Bible tells us that Satan has access to God. And he appeared before God and he said, Look at Job down there. And God said, Have you considered my servant Job? How, what he does and how he serves me. The devil said, yes, I've looked at him. And I want to tell you something, God, the only reason he's good is because you built a hedge around him and you won't let anything bad happen to him and you're just sort of guarding him and protecting him. And the Lord said, all right, Satan, I'll show you what a man of God can do even when he is stricken by you. You can touch his houses. You can touch his lands. You can touch his family. I'll even let you touch his body. And I'll put him on display before the world and show you what a real man of God can do. And so Satan came down. And what did he do? He took the land. He took the children. He took the houses. And then through Job's wife, that foolish, silly woman said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? All of this because of the devil. Job said, you talk like one of the foolish women. And in all these things, Job sinned not. Now listen, one of the devil's main plans and stratagems is to attack Christians and to try his very best to get believers off the track, to get them into all kinds of sin, to get them into all kinds of problems and burdens. I think he leads adults into financial difficulties that would tend to embarrass them and then sits back and laughs and says, <laughs> what are you going to do about that now? Curse God and die. I think he leads young people. And listen, young people, right back here, I'd like for you to notice there's a young lady, beautiful, precious young lady in green that's talking. I have a message for you when you listen eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball. I love you, but that's the way I talk to our kids at church. Yeah, you, that's right. Listen. Now, one of the things that God tries to do in a Christian's life is to give that Christian some spiritual power and fortitude so that when the devil comes, the devil cannot destroy the testimony and destroy the, the power in that Christian's life. But the devil comes along and he knows our weaknesses. Remember this, if you ever find out as much about yourself as the devil knows, you'll be able to be pretty smart. The devil knows all about you. He knows your trials. He knows your downsitting. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He doesn't slip up on your strength side. He slips up on your weak side. This is the reason, young people. When you go out on a date, the devil does his very, very best to get you off in a car on a lonely road and parked where there's night and no traffic. Why? Because he knows that every red-blooded American man and the women who are red-blooded American girls have within them powers 
and desires that are God-given. But when they are unleashed and unbridled outside of marriage, they rush like all the horses rushing down the road. And you can't stop them if you let them go. The devil knows that, so that's where he gets you. And so he gets teenagers in trouble. That's Satan. And listen, Christian young people are not exempt from this. You know that? This is the way he does with drugs. I don't know whether the devil's behind the busing situation in Louisville or not, but I know this. He can take young people from their own community and send them across town to some other school, or maybe a school in their own community. And then some kid comes down and has a little thing in his hand. You go in a restroom and he says, hey, look at here. Really makes you feel good. Or, boy, this really makes you feel good. Why don't you try it? No, I don't do that. Uh, um, I, I just don't do that. You know, my, my parents uh, don't like that. Uh, my church takes stands. Oh, you old sissy, you old chicken. What's wrong with you? You just tied to your mother's apron strings. And so the devil slips up on you, doesn't he? And he tries to get his fangs in where it really hurts. And pretty soon you're taking one. And then another. And then another. And then another. First they're free. And then you have to start buying them. And you're hooked. And pretty soon you have to cheat and lie and steal in order to take care of the cravings of your body. That's from Satan. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil slanders and accuses the saints. He confuses the word. The word of God that is sown in your heart. Satan comes and tries to confuse it and to destroy it and pluck it away. You know why young people a lot of times and kids talk in church? Really, and I, I love kids. Nobody loves young people more than I, I don't think. I love young people. But I recognize Satan had worked many, many times in church. And remember this. If Satan ever goes any place in the city of Louisville, he goes to church. He's a lot more faithful than some of you. He's there every time the door opens. And when the preacher is preaching, he tries to get into somebody's mind and says, Hey, write Susie a note and say you don't love her as much as you used to love her. <laughs> write Joe a note and ask him where he was last night. And so here he goes, these notes up and down. I can see them. You ought to see the notes I've collected. One of these days when I get old and brazen, I'm going to pull them up in front of the church and read them. After our kids are grown, gone away somewhere, I don't want to embarrass them publicly. I almost know the names of the ones who write. They don't usually sign their names. They sign some kind of an odd signature. You know how they do. The devil does this. Now listen. Satan is crafty. He knows right where you live. He knows right what makes you tick. He knows everything about you. And Satan moves in. And while we can see witchcraft and sorcery and Ouija boards and weirdos, and we can identify them, sometimes Satan slips up on us in a different form and we do not know him. We do not recognize him. And he defeats us. That's his business. Satan blinds the minds of the lost. If you're here tonight without Christ, 
one of Satan's best tools is to put a blindfold over your eyes and put something in your ears so you can't hear the word of God and you cannot understand spiritual things. The Bible says that the things of God are spiritually discerned. You can't understand them without the Spirit of God. And if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil blinds your eyes. If you're without Jesus here tonight, Satan has you blinded. He's got you right where he wants you. You remember Samson, the great strong man of the Bible? Samson, one time too many, put his head in Delilah's lap in a time of lust. Oh, from reading the scripture, it didn't seem to be open sex. No, no, no. It was lust. He was obeying the lust of the flesh, and he had his head down there just rolling around in her lap, and he went to sleep too many times, and one time all of his locks were cut off. And he arose to put off the Philistines as at other times, and his power was gone. Why? Because he had given the secret of his spiritual power. And remember, it was spiritual power, not just physical strength that made Samson strong. It was spiritual power. And he had given the secret of his spiritual power, proffered in a night of lust, and it was all gone. And they took him and bound him and put him in chains and shackles and put out his eyes and put him in prison. There was old Samson, that great, great, strong man. Now nothing. He groped around and he cried and he cried and he groped around and finally he said, Oh God, oh God, oh God, do it again, do it again, give me the power again. He got hold of one of the pillars when he was in, where they were making sport of him. He got hold of one of the pillars and he said, Oh God, just one more time, and God seemed to give him power one more time, and he pulled the pillars down, and in his own death he killed more than at any other time in his life. Power you have. And when you lose that spiritual power, you're not what you used to be. And the thing that God could use about you can no longer be used. Some of you have come to Jesus and given him your strength. You have answered the call of that song, the strength of youth we lay at Jesus' feet today. You put it down before him. But then you went out forgetting how crafty Satan was and forgetting how crafty, how craftily the devil knows and worms around until he discovers your secrets. And the power you once had is all gone. And you're chopping away with a dull axe. You're not what you used to be. Somebody has said, anybody that used to do more for the Lord than he's doing today is in a backslidden condition. How about it with you? It's not how you start the race, but how you finish that really counts. Saul started well. Oh, what a man he was. And everybody came because Saul was a great warrior. But he finished in shame and defeat. A suicide on the hills. What about you? 
Satan is destined for defeat. He is destined for judgment. The Bible says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, of judgment, listen to this, of judgment because the prince of this world is judge, Satan. If you're on his side, you're already judged. If you're on his side, you're already going to lose. If you're playing on his team, you're already going down in defeat. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Listen to this. In Proverbs 14:34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In Proverbs 14:12, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. James 1.15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And in Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. S.D. Gordon, the great preacher, has suggested seven things about sin that all should know. Number one, sin earns wages. Number two, sin pays wages. Number three, sin insists on paying wages. Number four, sin pays its wages in kind. Sin in the body results in bodily dying. Sins in the mind results in mental dying. Sin in contact with other people bring on results that affect those others it is terribly true that no man sinneth to himself number five sin pays on the installment plan a little bit now and a little bit later and a whole lot at the end number six sin pays in full if not stopped by forgiveness by the blood of jesus christ and number seven Sin is self-executive. It pays its own bills. The Bible says the devil is a hard taskmaster. The wages of sin is moral death. The convicts over at Portland in Washington were building their own walls. And they went out and put every brick and every stone in place. And then they were told, this is your prison. You'll be chained inside of it. And so each sin makes it harder to refrain from further sin and more difficult to turn back. Sin against a man's personal moral capacities results in a slow dying process. Young men, bring to the marriage altar the same thing you want your wife to be to bring to the marriage altar, a body of purity. The wages of resentment are dying to happiness and personal peace and joy. The wages of hatred are dying to love, a loss of capacity to love. The wages of jealousy are dying to friendship. The wages of lying a dying to truth. The wages of stealing a dying to honesty. A man watched an American eagle soar. He went up, up, up. That greatest of all the birds of America. Soaring high. And then as he watched, suddenly... It seemed that the bird could no longer hold his wings out. The wings flopped, and the great eagle began to fall to the ground. He fell to the ground with a thump and was dead, and the man went over to look. There was a little weasel, a little weasel that had attached itself to that great eagle when it was down on the ground at its prey. 
and that weasel had attached itself to the breast of the eagle and in flight he had sucked the blood from that eagle that's what sin does that's what the devil does that's what playing with the devil does that's what it did to Saul Saul that mightiest of all the kings of Israel who stood head and shoulders above everyone else he came down in defeat and shame because he did not know that the wages of sin is death sin against the body results in a dying of the physical body it's probable that men was not made to die in the first place our own intemperance and lack of care hastens this death and a diseased body does it before the service tonight brother dallas gave me this i don't know where he got it, it says a devil's portion a devil's potion soap it cleans like the devil's soap listen to this the devil's potion soap cleans like the devil's soap there's a little of the devil in every man but most of you could use a lot more because if you're too good life can be dull but if you're devilish life can be interesting it cleans like the devil's soap it should help make you a fresh devil it's thick creamy lather was stolen from the devil's bath shop melted down in the devil's pit and then dipped in the secret sense of the devil's potion to bring out the devil in you you may smirk you may smile and you say do you mean some advertiser is doing that yeah but i want to tell you before the advertisers ever started doing it some of you started washing with the devil's soap. And tonight, it's not too late, but it's awfully late. It's awfully late. It's not too late to turn from Satan, to turn from sin, to turn from temptation, and to come quickly for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl is willing to come to Christ, all the sin, all the shame, all the stain, all of it can be washed in Calvary's blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he cleanses you not with devil soap but with the blood of jesus christ and you are no longer the devil's child and as a christian if you constantly plead the blood and you meet every temptation with the blood of the lamb like in revelation 12:11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and they love not their lives unto death by the word of their testimony god will give you victory for there is victory in Jesus. Jesus said to Nicodemus one day, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus told about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One stood over here and prayed thus with himself, Lord, I sure do thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice in a week and I pay tithes of all mankind. Lord, look at me. And I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. Jesus said the guy over there was a publican. He stood with his head bowed. He smote on his chest and he cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, that man 
went down to his house justified. Why? Because he had claimed the mercy of the Lord Jesus. You can too tonight. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care how caught up you've been by self, by the devil, by the world, by lust, by the flesh. If you'll come to Christ, he'll forgive you. And your sin stains can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. God will make you before him just as if you had never sinned. Won't you do it? Won't you come? Come with your failures. Come with your sickness. Come with your soul. Come with your questions. Come with your faith. Come without faith. But just come. And when you start to Christ, the Bible says in John 6, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and he that is on the way to me, I will know why it's cast out. So if you'll come, God will energize faith within you. And it is through faith that you can be saved tonight. And through faith, you can overcome sin. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With our eyes closed before God, let me just say this, please. Again tonight, again at the close of this message, it is not how you began, but how you close the race that counts. It is not whether you felt real, real good and had tickles in your liver when you first walked down the aisle to give your heart to Christ, but the question is, what are you doing about it now? Are you serving the Lord? Are you out and out for Him now? Are you living the life that counts? I wonder if there's somebody tonight who would like to say, Dear Lord Jesus, sitting here at the Ormsby Heights Baptist Church on this night, I have sensed a need for a deep walk with Christ. And I want to turn away from sin and repent from sin and turn thy faith to the Lord God. Here's my life, Lord, I give it to you. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, that you'll do it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation hymn. Number 240? 235. As we sing this invitation, God is speaking to your heart. Would you let him have his way with you now? I don't know what you need to do. If you're here without Jesus, you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ. If you're already saved, you need to come down this aisle and say to the pastor, as brother pastor stands here, dear brother Dallas, I want to live for the Lord. I want the shame and the sin and the weakness and the failures of my life to be gone. And I want to say, Lord, I want to finish the course well. I want to go on for God. I want to serve him. You do what Christ leads you to do. While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the king? Brother Dallas, will you stand here?